Welcome to Jaipur Bites, the JLF podcast. I'm your host, Lakshtata. What you're about to hear in this episode is a live recording of a session that took place at the Z Jaipur Literature Festival 2020 in January at the Diggy Palace. Here it is. I heard about Ikigai first thanks to the book that you did with Hector and uh, it struck me that a word that has actually been in existence for so many years you know since 800 AD or perhaps a little earlier and the two parts to Ikigai are so beautiful Ike derives from Ikiru for life and Gai is one of those complicated words that seems to have many meanings from um many definitions when you first encountered the word what did it say to you and what is your definition of it now and how did it start to open up its meanings uh a second please could i request you at the back to either shut the doors or a little silence for frances if possible thank you so much <laughs> Okay. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. And uh let's start by this nice explanation that you did. Ikigai is a word formed by these two kanjis. Iki is life, gai means worth of it, worth it. So, literally we could translate it as a life worth to be lived or more freely purpose of life, mission the reason why we start every new day uh i encountered this this word together with hector for the first time when we were doing our investigation in ogimi that is a a very little rural village north of okinawa and we were there to interview a lot of centennials because uh, ogimi is the village is the place in the world with the record world guinness of longevity so it's the place with more centennials every thousand inhabitants in the world then when we were interviewing them to discover the reasons why these people lived so long one of the common answers was i have an ikigai and this brings me motivation to to live long One of the things that I was asking people who were expressing an interest in the session was how they defined happiness or what would make them happy. And typically people would say things like there's this boy I really like and if he liked me back I would be happy or if I made more money I'd be happy or if I had a different job I'd be happy. But what you and your research seems to point at is that that's not happiness at all, you know. a victor frankel whom you quote in the book said that in effect it's man's search for meaning humanity's search for meaning that really defines us why is it so important to us to have a central value in life not even a purpose but not even a thing that makes you get up in the morning but why as humans do we need so much 
to know what it is that we are on this planet for? Yes, uh, this is a very complex question. I think you pointed something very important, and that is, until very recently, people in East and West thought that to be happy, what you needed was to be prosperous, to have abundance, but what we have discovered is that it's not enough to have money, it's not enough to have a good house, to have a good car, to pay yourself a holiday abroad. We can feel melancholic and we can feel sad having all these things. And the Beatles, already in the, in the 60s, they were singing, can buy me love. So there are many things that money cannot buy. Money cannot uh, buy friends, love, and of course, money cannot give you a purpose. And we are now in a moment of very interesting change in people, and that's, that's that the generation of our parents were striving for money, trying to have a good salary, trying to have a house, to give us an education, to give us some comfort, and the job was not so important. My own parents, for instance, <clears throat> my mother, all her life was suing. Was, uh, they were very humble people, and my, my mother worked very hard from six in the morning until 10 at night, suing uh, customs because she, she needed to have an extra money to pay us the schools and all the things we needed. And my father was uh, a very simple uh, worker in an office who had the same responsibilities of his life. And they didn't complain. They thought it was the right thing to do, earning money for the family. And the activity, if it's boring, it doesn't happen anything. Nowadays, the new generations, the millennials, don't want that. So they want also to have a meaningful job. They, they need to have a purpose. They need uh, to see in the world a reflection, a, a, a result of what they did. Because of that, purpose now is so important because we have changed the equation somehow. If I have a strong purpose and I discover my talent, I want to have a meaningful, a meaningful life through that, and the money will come in the end. I love it that the two tools that you say are essential for discovering your ikigai, your purpose in life, your meaning out here, the two tools that you mention most often are intuition and curiosity. Yes. And why is this so? I mean, why do we get, is it that we don't know ourselves well enough? I think you, you have mentioned two very powerful tools. Uh, I, I know a lot of people in Europe, it's said that Germans are square-headed, <laughs> but it's only a topic. Also, in Spain, in Catalonia, I know a lot of people who need to have everything organized. They need to know exactly what will happen in this month, what will happen in three months, what do uh, they buy the holidays one year before. So they try to plan life because they are afraid of change. So they think if they have uh, in an agenda, in a calendar, everything that will happen, that uh, changes cannot touch them. But actually, life is totally impossible to predict. It's unpredictable. And if we live with this 
control freak sense, we are going to suffer a lot. So one thing for the Ikigai is what you say, uh, to, to let yourself go with the flow, what the, what the musicians say, play by ear. So let's improvise. And curiosity, because the, the way to your own Ikigai normally doesn't come easily. So you have to try a lot of things in life until you discover what is for you. And if you don't have curiosity, you are not going to see all these ways that uh, can bring you this happiness of finding, that's my thing. You know, when you say this, I'm thinking of your own life. You started off uh, basically learning many other things, literature, you studied German, you worked in publishing. And at 30, you say somewhere that you weren't happy, none of this, you know, you'd got the job, you were doing all of the things that you were supposed to do. And uh, it didn't bring you happiness. You came to India at 30, that changed things. But did you know, you know, when was the point at which you began to actually live Ikigai. One of the things I love about your book is that it is not just a book of where you're collecting information about best practices. You actually have been living this in many ways for the past 20 years. So where did that come from and how do you think it's changed you? Yes, uh, I had so many changes in my life because I didn't know at all what I wanted to do with, with it. So I changed my studies in university like three or four times. I was uh, registered in psychology. I didn't start and then I went to journalism and six months after I was to English literature and then to German literature. And my, my parents, uh, I, I drove crazy my parents because they say, you are changing all the time, you are always starting over, what are you going to do? But because I didn't know, I was in this way of curiosity of proof and mistake and let's see this and let's see that and, and I was starting over many times. So uh, by that time when I was in my 20s, the only thing I knew for sure is that I loved traveling. And because of that, I was always working during university to save money and to follow my passion that was going on a train to some unknown place and to be reading a book and looking through the window. And that was the only thing where I felt in peace with myself. Afterwards, I went to the publishing industry, first as a translator of books, afterwards correcting them, then working as a publisher. And then I discovered that this couldn't make me happy either because it, uh, it, it supposed being 10, 12 hours a day in an office the human atmosphere was not very good. There were a lot of people angry with their jobs and angry with themselves. And they made us uh, a lot of mobbing also. So it, it was a kind of hell. And the, the strange thing was that in this publishing house, we published books about positive thinking, happiness, uh, spirituality, and the people who worked there didn't practice anything of that. Because of that, then I, I said, I quit my job, I forget my salary, and I, I want to give up everything and, and go to India. That is, what happened in India that put you onto this path as well? Yes, in India, I got what many other writers 
artists, intellectuals have found in their lives. We must think that we were talking about the Beatles. They found great inspiration here, uh, and it influenced very much their music, and it came into Western music through psychedelia and many very interesting movements. So when I came to India, I had first thing, very important, to develop Yurikigai, time. So I, I was traveling in these trains in which you are 12, 15 hours into the train, looking at humanity coming into the wagon in every stop, the children, the people, the, the tea sellers. So first of all, I had a lot of time to think, a lot of time to observe so many different people from different religions, from different social classes. And then I got a lot of inspiration of little, little adventures of every day. Things that happened in the trains, in the hotels, in the streets, with animals, with priests, with sadhus. I was talking with a lot of different people. And then I, it was the first time in my life that I say, I want to write a novel with all that. And I have wrote today this novel. Is this, <laughs> this, this novel, the name is Lost in Bombay. And, this is the first one that yes, you wrote. And it was the first fiction that I wrote in my life. And I think I discovered my ikigai as a writer being here in India for the first time 22 years ago. But you also say a really beautiful thing. You say that you change your ikigai every 10 years or 12 years or so, which means that you reinvent yourself every 10 years or you find a new purpose? Yes, it's not for everyone. There are people who find one ikigai, and this ikigai is like a lighthouse that shows the way forever, for the whole life. And they are very fortunate because every change uh, requires a lot of sorrow, uh, a lot of pains, uh, difficulties, because you must start over again. And there are people uh, who from very young know that they want to be artists, that they want to be writers, that they want to help other people, and it's beautiful. if being very young, you, you reach that point. But normally, people must try different things until they feel comfortable with their lives. And in my, in my case, I think I had two or three strong passions be, uh, before discovering that writing and teaching uh, workshops of Ikigai was something that filled my soul. Uh, and who knows, maybe in 20 years I am doing something else. So for me, one lesson of Ikigai uh, is that nothing is forever. Maybe this is okay, and this is giving me power for five years of my life, but maybe then something changes in my life and I need to look for another direction, and it's okay like this. If you look at the heart of Ikigai, you start to see the two or three concepts come up that, frankly, we are not taught. I mean, they are common concepts in places like Okinawa and a few other places in the world called the Blue Zones, which uh, I'd love you to talk about. But those three or four things seem to be reinvent yourself, live in the moment, live a little more slowly, um, embrace change, find your flow, and be close to your community, a real community, you know, and continue working well into your 80s and 90s. Until the end. Until the end, <laughs> wonderful. 
And I'm just looking around and thinking, how many of us are taught this? What we are taught more is that if we have the right set of things, if we work very hard and we acquire a whole bunch of things, whether that's status or actual possessions, then we'll be fine. But what did you see in the communities that you went to? And by now you've seen Okinawa, and I think you've traveled beyond that as well. In communities that are healthy, that thrive, that have a purpose in life, a common ikigai, what do you see that marks them out from the rest of the world? Yes, uh, maybe you, you have done a very good summary of what were the key points of these people to live so long. Recently, two months ago, I was back in Okinawa with Hector Garcia, the co-author of the book, because we went with National Geographic to shoot part of a documentary. And apart from these key points that you commented, being together with the others in community, having a simple life, living slowly, uh, having an ikigai, having a purpose every day, um, a bit of exercise, not, not eating too much, all the things that are in the book. It was interesting because two months ago, being there, an American man in his middle 40s who lives there and he's married to a Japanese woman said, you that wrote the book, I have read the book too, and you forgot to say one important thing for the long living of all these people in Okinawa. He said, think that Okinawa was the place who suffered more the Second World War because there was a, the Battle of Okinawa that it, it was uh, with army on the fields and it was 110,000 killed people, many civilians. And he said that nowadays uh, many Americans live there, they have married local people and there is no regret at all of the past. And he said one ultimate secret for these people to live so long and so happily and so relaxed is that they know how to forgive. They have forgiven the past, they have forgiven these soldiers who came here and they have forgiven themselves. So if you don't have uh, past accounts with negative things, uh, you can live much quieter and much longer and you can live in the present. If not, you are always looking backwards. Francis, this is so, so important, you know, because I, th I think it speaks to us in India and it speaks to so many other countries going through tension and uh, conflict at this time. I think what moved me about Okinawa was again that this peace was so hard won. And it, it takes a lot of courage, I think, for entire countries and communities to say, yes, you wounded us, you know, yes, your people caused great harm. But for our own peace of mind, we will turn our back on it. When you were in Okinawa, did you talk about that process with people? Did you ask them, how did you arrive at this? How did you make yourself forgive? Yes, so you, you mean, how do you bring this philosophy of Okinawa to other places, to a city, to a place like Jaipur or Barcelona? You, do you mean that? Yes. I think the geographical place is not important because if we go to a little village in India, in Spain, in China, we are going to find also people who live in a harmonious way with the neighbors, who uh, cultivate their own foods, that they live slowlier, they go with the sun. The, the problem is that in the cities, to 
we need to have another strategy because in the cities we live in a permanent state of distraction. And this distraction comes through the social media, through the groups of WhatsApp, uh, noises on the street, negative news, it's going to happen this, it's going to happen that. Then you go to the office, everything is angry, everything is stressed. And it means thousands and thousands of inputs every minute that can uh, overwhelm you. So when you have to find your ikigai and you live in such a climate of stress, uh, you must start switching things off. For instance, myself, I never read the news. So before, five years before, I started the day in front of my computer reading the newspapers to see what happened. But I discovered that it affected a lot my state of mind. So when I was reading of quarrels among politicians, among different parts of the country, the future wars, I don't think it is to be irresponsible, but this affected me in such a way that I couldn't give the best of myself. So to lift Yuriki guy in the city, you must be very selective with the inputs that come to you and to try to focus in what is important and what is your talent, because you, if you keep that away from all this noise, then you can develop it and you can give it back to the world and make of this a better planet. It is absolutely fascinating what you're saying. Sorry, I didn't mean to shut down the applause. Please go ahead. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who's a neuroscientist who specializes in addiction recovery. And he said that he's begun to classify the incessant stream of headlines coming at us all the time through WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter, everything. He's classifies that now as an addiction. He says at some point of time, there's a hook that gets into your system and that uh, won't let you switch off from that constant need to know and to update. And what you're saying is one of the pillars of Ikigai in a sense, which is that in order to come back to yourself, you must also create a space around you, yes? And that space, in a sense, you're saying has to be a real space, which is so very different from the multiple social universes that we are part of. Um, I was also thinking about the book that you wrote on forest walking, because that seems to be another part of it that maybe we're missing in the cities. How do most people in cities improve their connection with nature? Why is it important to us? What is it that holds us together? Yes. Uh, what you mentioned uh, in the end is forest bathing that the Japanese call Shinrin-yoku is one solution we have to connect with ourselves and with nature. And uh, the experts say that only once a week even going to the forest is enough to have a lot of benefit, benefits for our health, not only psychologically, uh, reduction of stress, better sleeping, but also even uh, our immune system gets better if we pass one half day a week in the... And what to do if we are in the city and we need to have this space of protection that you say? Um, for instance, one thing we could do is to keep one hour a day 
for something that is strictly personal. So we can work, we can uh, help the friends, the family, go to compromises, go to parties, everything, watch Netflix at night, but we should keep one hour a day for ourselves, for something that is meaningful for us. For some people can be writing a diary, a notebook, for another playing an instrument, for another person maybe it's going to a park and having your novel and reading there. So if we keep this oasis for ourselves, uh, from there we can de develop a lot of things and we can stand much better the conditions of the life in the city. May I ask you now what your daily routine looks like today compared to, let's say, 15, 20 years ago? Yes. How much has changed? How is nowadays my routine? Yeah. It has changed because now I have little time, but my ideal routine, I would say, is waking up a bit before 8 o'clock, maybe. Then I am a, a freak of green tea. I start the day uh, doing a teapot of tea, and uh, then I drink uh, two or three cups with my two cats that live in our house, and they come to the sofa. And then I start maybe with the most creative thing. If I am writing a novel, if I am writing the book, I put it first because, and this is an, a piece of advice that I give also to writers, don't leave your passion for the end of the day because in the end of the day, you are very tired. You have had a lot of information. You are intoxicated. That it's a mixture between uh, info, information and intoxication. You are intoxicated of so many thousands of inputs that you had. So in the beginning, if you can uh, get up two hours before your activity, these, these two hours are gold. So I try to write in the morning, and then when I finish that, I answer some emails, and then I start my day. Normally, I visit many schools because I have uh, books for children. And also, I like, if it's possible, three times a week to meet old friends because this is something that I learned from uh, these old people in Okinawa. They visit friends almost every afternoon and they join together. And sometimes we are so busy that what is, uh, what is a, an obligation of work, we do it. Or sending uh, a file or, or uh, having some professional talk. But we forget these uh, dear people who are with us since we were at school because we think that there is always time. And sometimes people live or, uh, or things happen and you, sh you wish then to have dedicated more time to these friends. So I put as an ikigai in my week, meeting two, three friends and having time with them to have a coffee, a beer together, look at the eyes of, your, of this dear person and talk about so many things as possible. Because in the end, when we remember best moments in our lives, it's the ones we spend with these people that we love, with our couple, with our family, with our friends.
All right, you know, these sound like such simple and uh, good things to do. So a question, why do most people have a lot of trouble actually implementing these in our lives? Why is it so hard to make changes that are good for us? Yes, because we, we are addicted to, to activity in a bad way. Uh, let me explain you the, the difference. When we look at the different interpretations of the word Ikigai, there is one that is being happily busy. But happily busy means doing all the time the things you love. So your hobby, your people, going to nature. But people is always busy, but sometimes we are busy in things that are totally non nonsense, like being two hours in front of the social media, looking at what happens in, in Facebook, in Instagram, in Twitter, and we, we are like hypnotized, and we don't know why we are spending so much time on that. And actually, the, the psychologists use a Latin word to explain this phenomenon called horror vacui. Horror vacui means fear to emptiness. And what does it mean? That we are busy all the time, but artificially busy, busy with things that many of them we are not so interested because we are afraid that if we create a space, uncomfortable questions come to us. So if you are never alone with the silence and you are always looking at something, listening to something, doing something, you don't leave the space. But when you leave the space, maybe then will come these questions that can change your life to say, is this the life I wanted to do? I am uh, following my priorities. I am doing the right things for myself. And sometimes we keep very busy so as not to formulate these questions. Just looking at this audience, you know, about hundreds of people out here, more listening from outside. A lot of people out here, again, are living good lives, but would like to live better lives, perhaps. Some maybe are just starting out on their journeys. If there are four things that you learned in the process of writing Ikigai and after, three or four things that you really want to share with them. In the process of writing for future or present writers that are here, yes. Uh, some of the things we already mentioned, I would say the first thing a writer needs to start a career is attention, focus. But this focus, not only when you are writing, uh, let's start the process. In the beginning, before you start writing a, a single line, you need to take the information from reality. And so, um, a good writer must be a, a searcher of good stories. And then, when you are in the metro, when you are in the bus, when you are walking in the street, instead of looking to your smartphone all the time, you look at the world and you listen to the conversations and you, mm, you are looking for special stories from the people that can be told in a book and that can be universal. Then this attention, this focus, you put it in your observation of reality, chasing good stories. After that, you must prepare some kind of plan it said that there are two kinds of writers, the writers of compass and the writers of map. 
to, when you write with a compass, it means that you improvise, you write chapter one, but with not a clear idea of what will happen afterwards. And you follow your inspiration, and what you wrote today will be uh, a clue for what you will write tomorrow. This is very dangerous if you don't have a lot of practice, if you are not Hemingway, because you can get lost easily, or maybe you put a lot of action in a part of your book, and in the second part, maybe uh, it's weaker. So it's good to have a plan, it's good to have a map. And what does it mean? It means that at least if you are writing fiction to know what happens in the beginning, what happens in the end, how does it finish, this story, and what is the central point in which the story turns. If you know that, you can go filling the different blanks for that. And this focus that we were talking about, it will be very important when you write in the end to have, I would say, a discipline a little bit like people who prepare themselves for running a marathon. To write a book, to write a novel, is a work that needs a lot of persistence. Because in the beginning, you are very excited with the idea. You, you are full of energy. You want to uh, put a lot of things in the paper. But after one week, two weeks, then other temptations come. And maybe you want to go with this place. You want to go to the cinema. You want to watch Netflix. And you, you lose the thread. So it's important here to be very strict with yourself. When I started writing this, uh, I was writing here in India, but after I wrote, I wrote it uh, on hand with a pen in a, in a normal notebook, but when I was transcribing it to the computer, it was always same schedule. In that time I did from 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, I, I was obligating myself to sit in front of the computer and work. So when you're writing in a novel or a book or an essay, you put one hour, two hours, three hours, a sacred, a sacred time that you are in front of the paper, in front of the computer, even if you, you don't want to. And then you follow that. And that's the easiest way that your creative flow can, can come out of you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Wonderful advice for writers. And I'm going to throw this open to the audience fairly soon, but just to check, you know, because we are talking about Ikigai, we are talking about your purpose in life. How many people in the audience know what their purpose in life is? How many of you are sure about it? Okay. How many of you are not sure about your purpose in life? Francis, you have your work cut out. <laughs> what advice? Do you give everyone out here? How do they go about finding their purpose? What's the first steps? To find your ikigai. To, to find your ikigai? Yes. If you don't know yet what is your ikigai, uh, don't worry. Most people don't know it yet. It's something that we have inside ourselves and that we are going to discover. And I can tell two, three ways of finding your ikigai. First of all, I would say liber uh, what we were talking before, liberating time. So uh, having a deal with yourself. We, in this life, we, live, we give time to so many people uh, that they are asking things from us. 
and we give time to everybody except for ourselves. So, if you want to discover to Yuriki Guy, first thing you need is time is to create uh, empty canvas so that new things can appear. So, it would be enough, for instance, in even 20 minutes a day that you are with yourself, with a notebook, or in a cafe, or walking in a park, doing what the uh, ancient Greek philosophers did, walking and thinking. So you create a space, you put yourself questions, and Yuriki Gai will approach to you. Second way is to try as many things as possible. I am sure that everyone who is here has a lot of things that maybe would like to try and didn't do it yet. Then think which things are that. Uh, maybe playing piano, maybe writing your first tale, maybe uh, discovering a new sport, uh, going to a country where you always dreamt that you would like to go there. So try as many, not impossible things, but things that you always wanted to do and you gave yourself some reason not to do it because from all this uh, try of all these proof and mistakes, it will come in the end something that you will feel that is very, very meaningful to you. Then the first uh, sign to know that something is your guy is that you experience a state of flow. So uh, flow is what uh, we feel when we are very deeply connected to something. Yes? So, uh, what is the state of flow? For instance, when you are doing something that is very meaningful for you, then time passes like nothing. So, maybe you have been one hour doing something and you feel it was a minute. Uh, and then you forget even the place where you are and uh, you, you feel that you and the activity you are doing is the same thing, like a kind of meditation. And uh, in the last part, I would say that if you are looking for Yuriki Gai and you feel very lost in life, remember your childhood. Because when, you, when we were children, we were naturally connected to our passions, to our instincts. Uh, and you look at children and you see that they are very spontaneous. So if we remember how we were when we were children, what we loved, what were which things were our dreams, it's another way to connect to Ikigai. Thank you so much. And I also love the insight that an Ikigai does not have to be this grand thing. That, you know, your Ikigai could be, I will make the best alu parathas for people I love. Or it could be, um, I will help two people because I like help helping people and I will help people every week or something like that. Whatever you find fulfillment in, and what you're saying is that the part to that is possible, but it does take a little quietness, it does take a little effort uh, to connect with yourself that deeply. Thank you for listening to Jepper Bites. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. Jepperbytes is a Launchora production. Producers of Story Talking with Laksh, The Visionary Podcast, 
Jazz India Circuit Podcast, Poetry Darbar, and most recently, Play Me Life. All our shows are available on all major podcast apps. Once again, I'm your host, Lakshdatta, and thank you for listening. Thank you.